Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. Stand up, would you please? Let's do this. All right, are you ready? Okay, I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. And the Father wants me. I am His, and He is mine. My past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me. Because in His presence is where I live. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Well, uh, I'm excited. I just feel like um, I don't know. I just feel I feel um, that His presence is in this place today, and I I found that the older I get, I feel like uh, the more I'm returning to. Um, what I was created to be in him and how I'm created to respond in his presence. So in the past, um, I don't know if some of you will understand this, there, in churches, sometimes there was seating called pews, right? And they would be maybe as long as this, but it would just be one big, huge, and it was great for families but awkward when different people would sit next to you in a pew, right? And so, um, and so, uh, like, sometimes, um, you know, growing up, and especially when you hit your awkward teenage years or something like that, um, uh, how you respond to mom and dad may be different than how you responded when you were a little kid, right? And so, you know, uh, when you were a little kid, you'd go running into their arms and stuff like that, but when you got those teenage years, you know, mom and dad suddenly turned awkward, um, I don't know what happened, but they're just different than they used to be. It couldn't have been you because, you know, you're 13 and you know everything. So it's obviously, it must be mom and dad, right? And so you don't usually go running into your arms. I'm like, sometimes they may hug you at bed and you're like, okay, but definitely not in front of people or definitely, you know, you know, more smooches as you get out to go to kindergarten. Now it's like, drop me off like two blocks away from the school so nobody knows we're related, please, right? And so, and I've noticed that, you know, sometimes that parallels to our spiritual life. It's like, okay, God, uh, I'm going to go to church, but do not embarrass me by showing up and making me a wreck. Because I've noticed that um, sometimes the more God begins to pour himself out in a service, the more we are like, uh, sometimes, oh, gosh, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm 13 years old and dad's going to embarrass me. And sometimes my response to when he shows up in his servants is, is, is more like a, a spiritual 13-year-old that begins to back his way because, you know, he's just embarrassed of his mom and dad. And so uh, 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 a response to my worship to him is not freedom. It becomes embarrassment and distance and and walled off. It's not that I don't like God. It's not that I, you know, it's okay if he shows up in, in private where, you know, nobody is, is around. 
that would be great. There's also no testimony. <laughs> but please, please don't show up in a service and, and please don't embarrass me. And so in the Nazarene church, you know, we have the pews and, you know, we didn't have this cool worship songs that you have today. We just had hymns that were full of theology, right? And so a move in that church was hands on the pew in front of you and hold tight. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a real, it could be a roller coaster ride, so hold on tight, feet firmly planted, and make sure nothing rocks the boat. <laughs> Sing your hymn. Or, or whatever. And as, I, as I'm growing and maturing in the Lord, I feel like at 51 years of age, I have finally still not comprehended everything. <laughs> you know? You're always hoping that there's this moment where you have arrived, and then you read where Paul says, <laughs> I still haven't arrived yet, but I'm trying to attain, you know? And so if there's still work to be done in Paul as he's walking on this earth... I can safely say there's still work to be done in me as I carry, as I walk in my life out on this earth in relationship to my Father. But some of the things that I want to deal with with inside me is how I respond to His presence when He comes. You know? I want my heart to be open and pliable, and that requires a level of vulnerability that, that sometimes we're just not comfortable with. So it's okay to start that out in your personal time, in your prayer closet or wherever that is. And you can begin to respond to God where, where nobody's around. That is okay. It, it, maybe it should function there first. You know, go to your prayer closet and, and, and allow yourself to respond to his presence. Because I'll, I'll tell you what, he'll, he'll show up in the private place. And he'll show up in the private place virtually every day. Every day you invite him the Father's going to show up. He might not show up in the same way every day, but he will show up. And so um, starting on, on that practice of, of, of dedicating some time, and listen, if you're, if you're not like, you know, you read the, the books of the great fathers of our faith, and you're like, you know, Moody's like, man, I'm, he's on his knees like four to six hours a, a day before he goes and does anything for God. And I'm like, that's great. That's awesome. I'm not there at that four-hour mark yet, so good on you, mate, uh, but I'm not there. And so maybe you're not there, too, so maybe yours starts out at maybe three hours and work your way up to four. Or, or maybe you backtrack a little bit more, and I'm betting that probably the majority of those pe people are probably not going to start out at three hours a day. Okay, maybe two. And right now you're saying, you're absolutely nuts. Do you understand how much I have to do during the day? Oh, the, come on, take it back. One hour. But I would, I would imagine that probably most people are, you know, are, are not at that one hour mark. So here it is. It's not about judgment, about what you can give. It's about being faithful to whatever you start out with and being willing to grow in that as he leads. And if you show up, have an expectation that he's going to as well. Whatever that time you carve out. But, but hear, hear my heart. Be ready to respond when he takes you past maybe the 15 minutes that you've given him. It's okay. 
begin to grow in our relationship with him. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, you're, you're not living in an era of, of judgment with him right now. You're not living in, in a place of, of his wrath, which means like sometimes when we hear his voice, we process it through the lens of what, is that you or me? It's my beard. Well, I'm not shaven, so we better get a longer microphone. Okay. All right, let me just cockeye it a little bit. Oh, here, I'll just do this. Can you hear me now? Okay. So sometimes we process what we feel the Lord is saying through the lens of what we struggle with. So if we struggle with being a son or a daughter, and we really are better at understanding him as a master instead of a father, then whatever he says to us will be processed through legalism or anger, he's really angry at me, or all this, instead of how he is really responding to you as a son or daughter. And so you will receive his words sometimes through how you relate to him or how you think he relates to you. And if you don't have, you know, or if you, you know, the, the, or if you haven't started working on the idea of your identity in him and that he's a father and that he's good, it's not that he doesn't discipline, but even his discipline to you comes through love, not through anger and not through judgment because whom the Lord, the Lord so even his discipline to you comes from a position of love, not judgment, not anger. Because you in him are not going to experience his wrath. You experience his love. Okay? So he's going to respond to us. So I want to make sure that I'm in the position where I will respond to what he is saying, how he is saying it, not through any other lens than that. And so, um, so maybe wonder sometimes is like, you know, they, they talk about being a son or being a daughter a lot. It's getting kind of old. And uh, it'll get old one of two ways. Actually, it'll get old one way. Because those who are sons and daughters don't mind being reminded that they're sons and daughters. They get kind of giddy about it. But those who are struggling with their identity of being a son or daughter will have a problem when someone begins to remind them that they are a son or daughter when they're not really wanting to move in that place of sonship. Okay? So you're a son or a daughter. Allow him to move upon your heart so that you can hear what he is saying and how he is saying it to you. You know, I used to believe that this Lord would say, uh, good morning, stupid, right? Right before you start the day, you know, uh, well, angels, he's awake. <laughs> Let's get busy about what we're going to have to fix today of what he does. You know, we wouldn't obviously say that necessarily out of our mouth, but we think that sometimes because we have a, a bad opinion about ourselves, which we then translate that that's what God must be thinking about us. But you know, when Gideon was in a wine press, this is all free, by the way, you don't have to pay for this. When Gideon was in a wine press, the angel comes down and says, mighty man of valor, right? But he sure wasn't acting like a mighty man of valor. And so when the Lord speaks to you, he doesn't necessarily speak to where you're at and what you think you are. He's speaking to you on 
how he sees you and how you've been created and recreated in him. And sometimes it's hard for us to understand that. So the Lord may be saying to you something like this in the morning, good morning, highly favored, blessed, welcome into the presence of your Lord. And you're like, I haven't even showered yet. I can't be a sweet-smelling savior, savior to the Lord, right? I haven't got the old spice on. No, 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 no. It's none of that. So he speaks to you from a position of how he sees you and, how, and what you were recreated and reborn to be in relationship to him. So if you brought your Bibles, open your Bibles to Mark chapter one, we're gonna, I'm gonna move around a lot scripturally, I am. And so, because of that reason, I, I will be putting scriptures up on, out here for you as well too, so that, you know, if it's hard going back and forth in the Bible and you miss something, at least you'll still be able to see it and write it down, okay? All right, so Mark chapter one, um, uh, uh, verses 16 through 20, and if, and uh, Barb, the title is answering the call. So I didn't even have to think about it. Usually she says, what was your title? I'm like, I don't know. I'm going to have to go and listen to the thing again. No, no, I've, I've got a title. We're good. Um, Mark uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. It says, as he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, uh, the brother of Simon, and casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. See, this is, this is how detailed the Bible is, because the Bible's afraid, like, well, we said they're casting a net in the sea, but these guys are sheep, so if we don't say they're fishermen, they'll wonder what they were doing, right? He's like, so they were casting their net in the sea because they were fishermen, in case you were wondering, right? Okay, so they're, ca- they're fishermen, they've cast a net, and immediately, or, and Jesus said to them, follow me. Follow me. And I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending nets. And I'm just going to add there, because they were fishermen, just in case you were wondering. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with hired servants, so they went away to follow him. Now, I'm going to give you about three or four distinctive things here. Then I'm going to give you about three or four more distinctive things here, and then we'll call it a day, okay? So here's the first thing. The first thing is that there are followers, okay? So either put that in your mental Rolodex Write it in your Bible or write it on a piece of paper, whatever you have. Followers, okay, aren't disciples yet. They're simply followers. They accept the invitation that has been given to them, but that doesn't necessarily translate into them being disciples yet. They're they really aren't bound to necessarily anything. To them, it's really about a journey of exploration. They're followers. They may be seeking things in their own heart or, or whatever, but there's an invitation that's given to them, and so, and so they begin to follow. The decision of whether or not they will become a disciple is the response to the challenge that Jesus gives them to become fishers of men. So come, follow me. Well, you got nothing else going on there. A lot of times you'll see this when, when people come to visit a church for the first time. They're not a member. 
Maybe they've accepted an invitation that someone has said, hey, you got anything going on Sunday? And they may be like, no, no, what do you got going on? Hey, come to our church. Oh, well, they, okay. Maybe, they, maybe they're believers in the Lord and, and they're part of the bride of Christ, but maybe they're not plugged into uh, uh, a body yet. And so they walk in the, the, the doors of the sanctuary and, and they've accepted an invitation to come be a part of us for the day, but that doesn't translate into all of a sudden, yeah, we're, we're, we're members. Okay? So they, they followed an invitation. Maybe they're not quite disciples yet. And so in, in Matthew uh, 22, 1 through 14, um, this is going to be kind of, oh yeah, good, you got it up. Oh man, you're awesome. Okay, um, it says, Jesus, I'm gonna, just going to read this real quick. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call them, to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come again. And he sent out other slaves saying, uh, tell those who have been invited, right? Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted, fattened livestock are all butchered and everything is ready. To, so come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and they went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. But the king was, uh, but the king was enraged and he sent his army, armies and destroyed those murderers and set their city on fire. Then to his slaves he said, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite them to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out to the streets and gathered together all they found, both good and evil, and the wedding hall was finished with, uh, filled with uh, dinner guests. Um... Then he finds the guy, right? He says he doesn't have any wedding clothes. And the man was speechless. And the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, throw him into the outer darkness in that place where the weeping gnashing teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Okay, long, long bit of scripture there. But what are, we, what are we seeing in that? We see that even in that, there's an invitation that God gives to people. And at first they said, yeah, we'll be there. But when the time come, came, to actually engage and, and, and fully accept because they said they would come, but there hasn't been a really uh, a full uh, acceptance of that invitation because at the end of that, it's like you, you got to get up and you got to go to where the wedding feast is. You, you got to move. And, and when the time came, it's like, nah, we got stuff going on. Sorry, we can't make it. I know we said we would, but comma, distractions, thinking twice about it, all this kind of stuff. So we were following you for a bit. We were maybe on track, but in reality, uh, we're, we got stuff going on. And it goes so far that some uh, who were of the slaves who were coming to him and uh, coming to them and reminding them that, hey, come, the time is coming. Some were even mistreating his slaves that were, had come to remind them of the invitation that they said they would come. And now, and, and some of those guys are even killing the slaves. So I don't know about you, but if I sent an invitation to somebody and they said they don't want to come and there was a threat if I walked out to remind them that they would murder me, I would say, I'll take your no as no. You've obviously have decided, and this is so important for you, that you're refusing the invitation that you're willing to kill people who are coming to remind you of what you said you would come to and what you said you would be a part of. 
It's a pretty emphatic no, right? We see here that, that those who are chosen are directly connected to those who have truly responded to the call or invitation. Are you hearing me? Those who are chosen are directly connected to those who are responding to the invitation that he has given. Many are called, but few are chosen. Well, how are they chosen? Because they accepted the invitation and the call. And the call, as we were talking about in Sunday school, was not about what you're going to do. The call is really about who you're going to become. Are you following me so far? (laughs) That's a trick question. Okay. You're all just staring at me. Are you getting this so far? Are we on track? Because I'll start over. Okay, all right. I'm just going to believe that this is so good for you like it was for me that you're just hanging on every word. Okay. So if you look at Luke 6, um, starting in verse 12 through 19, he says, this time he went off to, to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer. And when the day came, he called his disciples to him, and, and he chose 12 of them. Did you catch it? Let's read it again. It was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. And when the day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. So figure out what's happening here. Out of those who are following, right, he's going to choose some to be disciples. Now, I I know every kind of example kind of breaks down far down the line because some of these is like everybody who is following him is kind of is like a disciple but you're going to see what I'm talking about further on down the line so hold on so he's he's got he's gone up to the mountain to pray and here's a good idea this is a side plot for you you've got major decisions coming your way it's a good idea to go to the mountain and pray because from his time in the mountaintop, he's going to come from that time. He's going to call his 12. And those who, everybody that he calls, he's, calls, he's calling 12 to choose. And I'm believing that as he's up on that mountaintop in prayer with the Father, there is strategy coming to him and agreement about who the 12 are that he's going to choose to be disciples to come closer. So the invitation that God is giving to people is not, a, again, it's not about what you're going to do. It's about who you're going to be and an invitation to come closer in intimacy with the heart of him who's called you. Okay? Okay. And we see that he says here, and when he came, he called his disciples and he chose 12. And he also named apostles, right? So we've gone from friends, disciples, disciples, to apostles. 
And apostles are just going to be people who are going to be sent out, right, for like the mission that God has, okay? So um, he names them, right? He, he names the 12. One of them is even going to be Judas Iscariot. Do you remember that guy? Yeah. What'd he do? Yeah, he betrayed him, didn't he? He betrayed him. Peter did too, but Judas, Judas never recovered. I'm not going to stand and tell you that I know where Judas is at. Maybe I have a, maybe I think where he ended up. But I know that what he did was so heavy and so that there was a realization in him of what he did do. And the realization of what he did hit him so hard that there was nothing in him to bring him out of despair, agony of what he did which tells me that he still never truly understood who Jesus was because even though he did something horrible, he never connected that there was a redemptive side of Jesus. And so he reaped a consequence of a decision that he made and he killed himself. You'll see two versions of this in the Bible, uh, one of the Gospels and I think in Acts. And the, the Gospel says that he hung himself and in Acts you see that off a cliff and fell and his guts burst open and you think to yourself well wait a minute which one was it well and the answer is both he hung there for a while and when they cut him down he fell and because if you've been around a body that has been dead for a while or here's a better analogy when you're driving along the road and you see a dead deer you can tell if it's been there for a while or not by the size it may not be just a massive buck it may be something that's been there a while that has swelled yet whales that that beach themselves on and and die you don't go up to that if you're on a beach because that is an explosion waiting to happen that will kill people because of 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 the swelling right and so Judas had been there hanging for a while that when they cut him down and he fell, it was a scene out of a nasty video game, okay? Just in case you were wondering in those two spots. But he didn't come, he, he, he didn't come with a, an understanding of the redemptive side of Jesus and that's possibly because what his perception of what Jesus should do did not come with a redemption because he believed that Jesus should ascend beat the crap out of or kill all the Romans and establish himself as Messiah and we're going to set, yeah, right? And so if that's your perception and, that's, and you're missing everything else about Jesus' teaching, when you absolutely are faced with your failure and I believe that the enemy gave him that revelation of just exactly what he did. He had been deceived the whole time until he did the deed and then when he did the deed, I believe... Sometimes the devil will open your eyes to how wicked you really are so that you will face all of the humiliation and shame and guilt and all of that without any, any of the hope side so that you'll do something. He comes to steal, kill, and destroy people and he'll do it any way he can in your life. 
Okay. So he's calling the 12. And so he came down and with them and stood on a level place and there was a large crowd of his disciples and, and a great throng of people and nobody has really given me the, the mathematical equation of what throng equals to, but I'm pretty sure it's a lot. So let's, let's just say, you know, largest group of people imaginable, okay? All right, so uh, throng. We should get t-shirts that say throng on them. Okay, so throng of people, right? And so he's, he's been to the mountain with the Lord. He's chosen his 12, and, and, and now he's going out, and there's a, to the throng, right? There's a throng there. And, and so he's pouring himself out into to the one so that he can pour himself out to the 12 so that he can go to the throng and do the same thing. But when he goes to the throng, he's bringing the 12 because the 12 are going to participate with him as disciples and as apostles to minister to the throng. And I'm pretty sure that we could call Guinness Book of World Records because I don't believe there's a message out there that has used the word throng so many times in it. Just me. And I will probably say it a few more times. Okay. So look at John 6, 53 through 71. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Right? And wherever there's a truly, truly, or a a word used twi- twice, we understand that he's not stuttering or he's not saying truly, truly. We know that that is put in there so that we understand that he's actually maybe not quite yelling, but throwing it out there with strong emphasis, emphasis on the syllable, okay? So what he's saying there is truly, I say to you, like get this point. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. And everybody's like, wait, what? He who eats my flesh, drinks my blood, has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Remember in, in John chapter 8 that um, you should know the truth and the truth will sh- set you free, right? And so that has been hijacked by the world to, I, to you should know the truth and the truth will set you free. They have no understanding what that verse is because we just take it verses out of context and then call ourselves Christians or disciples. So they grab that verse and say, man, you don't know the truth and the truth will set you free. Uh, but the problem is, is the world doesn't have one truth, it has many truths. So you shall know your truth and your truth will set you free. Is what the world really believes. But what the connection of that Bible verse is really this. If you abide in him and he abides in you, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So it's not a truth of the world. It's not your truth. If you're abiding in him, then the truth is abiding in you. You will recognize that and that will bring you freedom. Make sense? Okay, so back here he's saying... Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I'm, I feel like I'm getting the anointing of, of the vampire off of Sesame Street. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Ah, 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 right? Twelve little disciples, count them. No, never mind. Okay, so eat my flesh, 
drink my blood. And I think they're going to have a little struggle with that. He says, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This bread which came down out of heaven, not as your fathers ate and died, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue. So he's, he's not just hiding this out there. He's throwing this out into the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, he's not just teaching to the throng here. He's also, there's the 12, but there's also others that have been following him that are, that are maybe wanting to be part of the 12 or, or maybe you know, they've been with him for a while, but he begins to say this statement and here's what happens. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a difficult statement. I can just imagine them, this is difficult. This is a tough one. Because they didn't have Sesame Street to explain it to him back then. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Because they're looking at this, and, and they're, they're not looking at this necessarily, I think, metaphorically. They're, they're, they're a little confused. Is, is he literal? I mean, the worst thing I've ever done is bite my fingernails. This guy is really talking about, you know, what is he really talking about here? This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? But these guys have been followers. And these guys have been going around. They're not initially part of the 12, but they've been there for for a while. But Jesus, conscious that these disciples grumbled at this, said to him, does this cause you to stumble? What if you see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. He's not talking to Pharisees. He's talking about people who are followers and who are very excited about watching Jesus do what he did and were very excited about some of the words that were coming out of his mouth, right? But they're getting to a point that's, that's going to be hard for them. And, and here it is. This is a challenging statement. And how they respond to this statement will determine what they really are. But some of you, and for Jesus knew who the beginning, who they were, who did not believe, and also who it was that would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason I've said to you that no one can come to me unless he has been granted to him from the Father. As a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. So he looks at the 12. Now remember, they got a special invitation, didn't they? Come down off the mountain, choosing 12 out of a lot of people. And he says to him, uh, uh, you, you, you don't want to go away too, do you? I don't, think he, I don't think that's a, hey guys, you don't want to go away too, do you? I don't think that's like he's worried about some. I think it's, it's the challenge. You want to walk away too? 
Are you willing to walk away? And Peter, Peter is getting pretty good at getting some specific revelation to me. He gets the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then he also speaks up here. So bravo, good on you, Peter, right? Good on you, mate. Um, Peter's like, where, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. So Peter starts out as a follower, and he's listening to the words of Jesus. And I, I don't think there's a time where, where Peter's just like, well, I don't understand those words, but who cares? I think Peter is, is probably munching on, on the words that are coming, have been coming out of Jesus' mouth all the time he's been following him. And he recognizes that there is, there's a truth here that goes beyond my understanding. It, it's bigger than me. And uh, maybe I can't place it in, in my framework to totally understand. And so Peter's like, where am I going to go? Nothing, and this is me paraphrasing, this, paraphrasing, this is the Steve Harmon interpretation of what is going on here, because I said this, where else am I going to go? See, the challenge that he is giving seems like really impossible. But because I know that his words have been true in the past, I believe it's true now. And so when the challenge comes, are you going to go too? Where else am I going to go? The only thing that has ever moved me in my life are the words that have been spoken from you. That's it. Since you have words of eternal life and we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now listen to this. We see that Jesus never hesitates to challenge those who call themselves disciples. If you're living a life that is unchallenged, you may not be a disciple. Because he's always challenging us. That's the one thing you can come to expect from him if you're a disciple. It's challenge. And it's not challenge of, you know, it's, it's not bad, but it's the challenge to to go deeper. It's the challenge to, to uh, take him at his words. And so we have followers. We have disciples, right? And the disciples are selected from the followers. And so we're looking at this and he's choosing them. But even the 12, he's challenged them. You're going to go away too? Peter, <laughs> where am I going to go, right? So we see that Jesus never hesitates to challenge those who call themselves disciples to see if they really are. And here, the 12 stand by him, even one who's going to end up betraying him. So many, pe many people have called themselves disciples, but have had a wrong belief of who he really was or who he really is. If you look at John 15, 12 through 17, he says this. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. You are my... Well, he doesn't use the word disciple, does he? So there's another transition in our relationship with Jesus as we journey. We've gone from followers 
who are challenged, by the way. They're challenged to become disciples. Then he chooses the 12 who are challenged to stay disciples. And somewhere down the line, as we're getting to the end of this, Jesus comes to them at, at, in John and he says, listen, you're no longer my disciples. Did we do something wrong? <laughs> you know, probably would have been my legalistic understanding. What did I do? Right? No, 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 no. There is a place that you get to in your relationship where he looks and he says, friend. And I can feel how uncomfortable that is for many people in the congregation. But Jesus said it. Jesus said it, right? And he says, friend. And I, I, this is where it gets good. I want, I want to look at, oops, not Ephesians. That'll get you nowhere. I'll try that one. Um, All right. My commandment that you love, he goes, um, greater love is no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you look up that word friend, philios, P-H-I-L-O-S, a lot of different things, but here's, here's something that is kind of groovy. You ready? One of the bridegroom's friends who on his behalf asked the hand of the bride and rendered to him various services in closing the marriage and celebrating the nuptials. You're like, I have no idea what that means. As I begin to look over this, there's a time when Jesus entrusts you with things because you have been down the journey, answering the invitations, working out the challenges, staying close to him, that he can entrust you now with some of the most sacred parts of his plans for his kingdom. That just doesn't happen right away when you become a believer. And nobody in the original church would have believed that either. Just because you said a believer that just because you've said a prayer that you're all of a sudden a disciple. You, you weren't even labeled Christian right away. That's something you had to actually mature into in, in the early church. Today, if you walk past a church, you're probably a Christian. <laughs> That's how, how we throw that term out there so long. And so now we've got, we've got people who call themselves Christians, but they are not his disciples. My fear is that there are people that are not even his followers that are calling themselves Christians. 
and they're diluting the word because they want to adopt that word so they can bring deception to the lives of people so that there is a type of beliefism that requires no invitation and no challenge and no change. And for crying out loud, how much more easier is that? And honestly, that's the wide path. That's not the narrow path that he calls us to. That easy type of beliefism and all that is the wide path that he talks about. And that wide path does not lead to a promised land, does not lead to heaven. That leads to destruction. Because you're unchanged. So my commandment is that you love one another, that you're going to be, you're, I no longer call you uh, disciples, I call you friends, I no longer call you slaves, right? Because the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you, here it comes, friends, all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So this, this time of them drawing close and accepting the invitation and getting through the challenge, uh, have, the benefit of that is drawing close to him and getting the revelation that the father has, has given Jesus, that Jesus has passed on to them. He's like, I've given you everything. And in the broad span of time, that's a relatively short amount of time. He says, but because you didn't choose me. I chose you. There are many people thinking that they have chosen to become disciples. you don't get to choose to be a disciple. He chooses his disciples. And the disciples, like I just said, are the ones who are first followers, then become disciples, then going through all the challenges that are there, are holding on to the truth of what he says, all the while there's an internal conflict because it's different from what the world believes, but they're holding on to the truth. Where else are we going to go? They're chosen specifically. But this choosing is not just, hey, you're a disciple. Hang up the plaque on your wall and you're good to go. No, he has chosen you to be a disciple. And with disciple comes something with that. And with friendship comes something. He says, I appointed you that you would go and you would bear fruit. And not just in a season, but that your fruit would remain. So that what you're doing is not just affecting this moment of time that you're living in. The fruit that you're going to produce is going to last thousands of years down the road. And, just be, and be just as potent now as when it first blossomed on the vine. And those who have gone through and become disciples and are entering in that time of friendship and God entrusts them with the work that he's called for them to do, your fruit doesn't end at your death. Your fruit is your legacy throughout generations until he comes back to earth. So, <laughs> um, this is not easy stuff. And like I said, at 50, 
one years of age. I was born into the church. I mean, if they would have had a hospital bed, I probably literally would have been born into the church. But I come out on a Wednesday and I'm in church on a Sunday, people. Right? From nursery time, I'm hearing the word of God from being held as a baby in the nursery in that little rocking chair. The simple, Jesus loves you, this I know. To them grabbing me, kicking and screaming, coming out of the nursery because that's where I want to stay. I don't want to go anywhere else. Ah, literally, screaming and kicking, throwing me into the kindergarten class with my grandma, Moyne Harmon. And I went from kicking and screaming to like, oh, it's grandma. Sitting down and, and, and getting Sunday school from grandma. Right? Then I graduate, and then I had a myriad of Sunday school teachers. Most of them I was related to. My dad. Oh, that was tough. My mom. And you had to behave when you were in mom or dad's class because they were not afraid to, uh, you know, use the board of education on your rear end. Ah, the good old days when people weren't afraid to discipline their children. It's okay to having a fear of doing something wrong. <laughs> okay. Then, my Aunt Doris, Judy Martin, tons of people. So, when I tell you that I was born in the church, I'm telling you from the time I was born to the time I turned 18, this is what I was getting three times a week. And I tell you that to say that at 51 years of age, I think I'm just starting to comprehend the very basic principles of being a disciple. Because I realized I've been a follower the majority of my life. I've loved him. I have. I've been a good follower. But there's an invitation from him that is for everybody to come and experience more intimacy, a, a deeper level of, of intimacy with him. And, and most of us get frustrated and angry because we sense there's an invitation, but like I was talking about at the very beginning, we don't like to be vulnerable and drawing close to him and entering into a, a, a deeper level of discipleship and transferring from follower to, to disciple is, listen, he doesn't let the closed off areas of your heart remain closed. He just thinks it's his business to get in there and do what he wants to do. And because I may not like that, I may reject for a while the invitation to come closer and deeper because I don't want to be challenged on the areas of my heart that I don't want to surrender. And he's not standing there like an angry God with a lightning bolt. He's patient. He's long-suffering. He's good. So 
So the disciple is someone who has answered the, the call of invitation, responded to the challenge, even when not understanding what Jesus is saying. Been there. Been there. Most of my life has been a challenge of trying to understand what is he saying and how does it apply into my life? And then surrendering to it because it's not enough just to have a head knowledge of it. It's something that needs to transfer into this area somewhere inside here, into the guts or bowels, the soul, the emotions, to accept and change into what he has said. Would he just wave his magic wand and have it happen? Yes, I would love that. But for some reason, I've got to fight with this stuff. I've got to struggle with this stuff. Part of it is my hard-headed and hard heart, right? Other part of it is I experience. It, it, the, the job of this is not to get to the end as quickly as I can. The job is it, of this is allow this stuff to change my character so that when I get to the end, I appreciate where I'm at because I have the journey and the struggle and the testimony that goes along the way that details his faithfulness every step. If I'm chasing towards the end and just want to get there as fast as I can, I'm not bringing anybody with me. It's all about me. All right, so here's the last three things real quick. These things are going to be important for us to grasp hold of. Number one, your being chosen comes with purpose. Remember, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of my Father in my name, he may give to you. Oh, how we love, ask the Father in my name, and he will give it to you. Don't we? Oh, do we not like that you would bear fruit, that your fruit would remain, so that. See, that, that's not just a blanket statement. Oh, you ask it in Jesus' name, you get it. That, that's not what he's saying. His focus is that that. You have been through follower. You've been through disciple. You're operating from a level of, of friendship, which I'm still struggling with myself. But the Bible says it, so we got to at least throw it out there, right? Because we can't get, start getting into the position of we ignore things we don't understand. You did not choose me, but I chose you, and I pointed so that you would go and bear fruit. Not so that you would be happy, fat, wealthy, and wise, but that you would go and bear fruit because what comes from his mouth takes root in your heart, does not stay stagnant. It begins to grow and it produces fruit. And then from that position so that you can go, right? And whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Your asking is based upon the fact that there is growth from the Father and the Son in you so that your asking is in an alignment with the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and you. It's not a blank check. And some of you are probably crushed right now because we like blank checks. 
The problem is they usually bounce and come back with an insufficient fund. Okay. So we know that these guys, you know that these guys are going to fail, right? You read the back of the Gospels. He's talking to them, all the good stuff, but they're going to fail, right? So uh, we know that, but we also know they're going to be restored. And in that restoration comes the renewal of the purpose. And look at John 21, 19, where he says this, he spoke signifying of the death that he would glorify God. And when he had spoken these things, this is when he's talking to Peter, he said to him, hey, follow me. Right, Peter's being restored and all that different kind of stuff. So, but then again, we have to go back, don't we? We started out with follow me. We get all the way through this and, and Peter denies him, right? Three times, thrice, if you're a King James Version person. Three times he denies him. And so we have to, what he does to him, he goes back to the basic elements. Hey, listen, we're restoring you, but listen, hey, follow me. Peter, follow me. And Peter turned around and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following and who had also leaned on the breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Okay, we get it, John. You had a relationship with Jesus. We understand that, okay? And John is just like, it's like people seem to think that John is like something super special. The reality of it is, is, is John at some point in time really understood his identity, and so John is like, hey, remember the disciple who leaned his head on Jesus' breast and asked? He said, that was me. And John's writing this. But this is not just for John. That's what I'm saying. I remember talking to a lady who was so upset about the gospel of John because she kept reading the scriptures. And she said, why can't I have that? And then she realized, hey, wait a minute. John wrote the book of John. He's just talking about himself. He's not being exclusive. He's just relishing the fact of who he was and his closeness. And she, then she began to understand that, that God desires that for me too. He desires that for you. But it comes with stuff. Okay, moving on. Uh, Peter said, hey, what about this guy? And the Lord says, Peter, uh, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? And this is where Jesus said, listen, if I, if, if, if I will for him to remain till I come, what is that to you? Peter, follow me. Follow me. Why is he saying this? Because it is so easy to get distracted from the simplicity of his invitation. But just follow me. Don't worry about what I'm going to do with John. Don't worry about what's going to happen here. Don't worry about the left. Don't worry about the right. If you keep your eyes focused on me, do what I tell you. Pursue me passionately. I'm going to tell you something. Good things are going to happen. It's not that life is not going to be hard. It's not that you're not going to go through difficult times. My goodness, these guys were stoned and beaten and died horrible deaths. We get that. But we're saying that there's going to be a legacy of your life that will last thousands of years until I return and you'll be received in glory with me. So the focus is, is not how I'm going to feed myself. The focus is not about my 401k and how it's growing. The focus is not all, it's not that you can't have that stuff, but it can't be your focus because it, likely you'll die before you'll ever see your 401k. It's possible. So if you spend the majority of your life trying to save up to exist in this life, but you die early, what have you taken with you? I'm not saying don't plan, but don't. Let it be your God. 
Follow him. Secondly, so we have to go back and reestablish follow me. After that, we have Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came to them and spoke to them, said, All authority has been given me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Now we have purpose again, don't we? Go. See, the purpose is Go. Go what? Go make disciples. It's, it's simply go. And then, but before you go, Luke 24, 46 through 49, and he said to him, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and in repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, begin Jerusalem, and you are my witness and things, but behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, Platari in Jerusalem, until you're a dude with power from on high. So go but wait for power. Don't go without power. You're going to go, but wait for power. So I have purpose, then I'm going to have power. I like power. Power is good. But power before purpose is dangerous. So where are you going to go with all that purpose and power, friend, son? The third thing of this is people. God's desire is for people everywhere, not just to know about him, but to know him personally. And the only way that happens is when God's people take up the mantle that he gave way back when (laughs) to follow him, to be his disciples, for there to be a transition into a type of friendships that come to receive power so we can extend the invitations to others and repeat the cycle. Otherwise, we're spinning our wheels. And discipleship is not just about you sitting in a lecture-style format. Disciple is not getting you so full of knowledge that you become spiritually obese. Discipleship was always meant, yes, there's teaching. Discipleship was always supposed to be about teaching, apprenticeship, and you being immersed in the kingdom of heaven. That's what it's supposed to be. There are supposed to be people walking with you along this road who are helping to disciple you while they're being discipled. You never get to the point in your life where you, you're not receiving something from somebody. But you do get to the point in your life where you start pouring yourself out into other people. And you want to be as full of him as you can be before you start pouring out into the others because I don't want any of my flesh to get poured out in discipleship. And the only way that happens is if I become a disciple, if I humble myself and get to the point where I understand I don't know it all, I will never know it all. So I always need to rely on the Holy Spirit and people 
who are trusted, that are older than me, that have been through some things, that can give me words of wisdom, words of knowledge on my road in pursuing him. Amen? Did that hurt? All right, stand with me. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife at aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.